gosh, I feel like so, so many times we've gotten to this point where we can either drown in this or we can stand up and try to rise above. Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to You Fit Here. I'm CB. CS. And if you have not listened to part one of this episode, take a pause and go back to next or last week and tune in to the beginning half of Lindsay's interview. We are now going to give you the second half of her interview because she has so much to say and so much life experience that we can learn from and grow from. Going into this, um, CB pointed out, wow, where do we even begin? Because she's Lindsay's been through a lot and we didn't really even know the half of it. And here we are. We felt like we were super, super fans of fueling mamahood on Instagram. And there's so much more to her story, which just goes to prove that even the people who you know have been through hard things, there's so much more to their story. And so we have, we started at the beginning of um, um, her early, early days being married to her husband, Zach, and they went they went through a miscarriage. They experienced a miscarriage. They found out because things didn't feel right that Zach had testicular cancer and that he, that there was no viable sperm to, okay. And then looking at their options and gosh, um, having four babies in, in the way that they had them, which is maybe not the way a lot of people do, but it's how they went through it. And it's the most beautiful story. You really just have to listen to the episode. And then just kind of one by one, things have just kept kept coming at them um, and their children and to Lindsay herself, which we'll get into today. But was that a good recap or? <laughs> okay. You guys just have to listen to the episode. Okay. So we have four babies and you are a healthy young mom and so cute and vibrant and oh my gosh and creative and talented living my dream life with cows and all of these things and you have a stroke tell us about that day and then just everything yeah so <clears throat> i'm going to back up just a little bit because it it mm-hmm. does play into the stroke so after maisley's birth there were some complications with her, with her delivery and she was born at 34 weeks. And then there were some complications afterwards that, you know, I wound up having, I wound up hemorrhaging about when she was about two weeks old. And so I went in and um, had a DNC at that point. And that was actually early in 2019. So anyway, so fast forward though to 2020, January, I started having more complications. And so it, they were continuing on. Um, and I met with my OB and it has been a long history of, um, ovarian cysts. And basically my uterus was just not happy. And so we ultimately decided that I would need a hysterectomy and I couldn't continue 
hemorrhaging and bleeding and all of these things, it just was becoming problematic. So not to get into too many details, sorry for all the men, but so I wound up um, having a hysterectomy in February of 2020. And because I had gotten an ovarian cyst that was large and causing more problems, we we ultimately decided to take out both ovaries as well. So we did a total hysterectomy, which is very uncommon for somebody my age, but we were balancing the pros and cons of, of all of that. And so it was the right decision for me. But in order to not go into menopause, then I started on hormone therapy, estrogen, so that I wouldn't go into menopause because that comes with a lot of risks as a 32-year-old. You need those hormones. Uh, there's a reason why your body doesn't go into menopause until you, you know, your late 40s, 50s. So um, I was on hormone therapy. And so that's kind of where we're leading into. So April 19th, we were, well, so the pandemic happened and lockdowns happened and that's kind of where we were. So we were having a bonfire one night and with Zach's parents and the kids, Miller fell asleep on me out at the fire. And so I um, stood up to take him into bed and uh, tripped on a marshmallow skewer and fell. And I was carrying him, you know, kind of cradling him with his head on my shoulder and when I, when I fell, I fell and my right side of my head hit the ground. And because I was cradling him on my left side, his head hit my, the back of my jaw on the left side. So I didn't realize at the time, but I had a bilateral concussion. And again, I didn't realize at the time, but I had also cracked four of my teeth when we fell. So Miller was fine, thankfully, but you know, it's funny, I go back and listen to my Instagram stories throughout that week. And there were many times where I I kept saying, you know, I have this really bad headache and it won't go away. And, and then other times where I would say, this is so weird, like my face is tingling and my tongue's going numb. And it's weird to listen to that because at the time I didn't even think twice about it. But in hindsight, what was happening was I was actually having a bunch of mini strokes throughout that week. And so um, we didn't know that. And my headache was getting to be unbearable throughout the week. And so I was, we went to bed on April 23rd and the kids had earned a sleepover in our in our room and so we had watched a movie and had a great night together we actually went to bed talking about Jesus and it was just like the best night as a family and so we had two kids on the floor one was in bed with us Maisley's upstairs sleeping and about 2 a.m. I woke up and my face had been hurting and was getting worse and worse and worse and it was like my cheek my cheekbone and it was like this terrible pain. So throughout the week, it had gotten so bad that I was like icing my face and sleeping on an ice pack. And so I got up and was in so much pain that I went and got some medicine from that I had for my hysterectomy and took it, texted my friend and said, I can't do this anymore. Something is wrong with me. And then a light switch went off and it was like the most excruciating pain that I have ever had in my whole life. And I feel like I have a fairly high pain tolerance. And so I got back in bed and apparently stood, sat up and said, I'm going to go to the gym 
and it was like kind of jarbled and Zach was like, what? And I said, I'm, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to the gym. And he's like, no, you're not. It's like two in the morning. And uh, at that point I started throwing up, getting sick in bed. And Zach was like trying to get me out of bed, but I couldn't stand up. My, le- like my left side wasn't working at all. So he like carried me to the bathroom and he's a type one diabetic. And so we, his first thought was blood sugar, you know, your blood sugar may be low. And so he was trying to get me to eat and drink and my tongue wasn't working. It was like just kind of falling out of my mouth and I wasn't able to talk and I wasn't able to answer questions and I'm like kind of getting sick. And so he calls my mom and they said, yep, you know, call the, call the ambulance. And so, um, Zach was like, all right, Lindsay, how many kids do we have? And, uh, he said, when I couldn't answer that, it was like the, all of the flags went off. And so not that things weren't wrong, but it was like that, he said that was the moment that really scared him. And so he called the squad and the squad came and they tried to do a little bit of an evaluation and basically just said, let's get her out of here. And so Zach picked me up and carried me to the ambulance and, I remember certain parts. I remember his mom. I remember looking up and seeing his mom in my bathroom and I was like in my head going, why are you here? And like, it was a weird moment. And then I had a flash where I was attempting to walk out of the bathroom, but my left, my left side wasn't working um, or out of my bedroom. And so the paramedic was there and Zach was there. And I remember looking at my babies and, and just like in, being scared. And so in the ambulance, like at this point, it was kind of in and out. And I remember looking at the EMT who wound up just being like this little angel. And he, I was so scared. And so he held my hand and they were wanting him when he had called it in, they were wanting him to treat it like an overdose because I had taken a Percocet before. And so they were thinking that maybe I had overdosed or something like that. And Zach was like, no, that's not, you know, no, there's no way she would have done that. She doesn't like, that's not, she doesn't do drugs. That's not what this is. And the EMT was like, I don't think that's what this is. And um, the chief had gotten there. And so they were, they were all saying no, but when it was called in, it looked like that. Right. I mean, there was, it was, I understand how they got to that. So Anyway, so they were wanting to Narcan me and uh, the EMT finally said he felt like an overwhelming, no, this, this is a stroke, that she's having a stroke. And um, I guess at that time, my the left side of my face started to droop. And so he called it in as a stroke. And so the stroke team was ready when we got to the hospital because they wouldn't have been, it would have been a, an OD call. So he was able to get the stroke team ready. And um, so they did a quick evaluation, sent me in for a CT. The CT came back normal. And so they were kind of at this weird time. And because of the pandemic, Zach wasn't allowed to be there. And so, and I'm confused because I'm going in and out and everybody has masks on and which was confused. Like it was just all confusing. And so basically they were like, there's this magic drug called TPA. And it is a clot busting drug that is used for strokes. And I hadn't, I had never heard of it until all of this happened. And so the, the neurologists and doctors, it was like total chaos. And, and they were wanting me to 
pass these neurological tests, hold up, be able to hold up my hands, be able to answer questions. And I wasn't able to do them. And so they were like, Lindsay, they were yelling at me, not because they were mean, they were just doing their job and this was a scary thing. And so they were yelling at me, Lindsay, you have to hold your hands up. You have to hold your hands up or we are going to have to give you a medicine and it very well may kill you. And you know, I was, they were like, do you understand? And I shook my head. Yes. And so they're like, okay, we're going to lift up your hands. You have to hold them here. And so I said, they asked if I understood and I shook my head and they held up my hands and they dropped instantly. And then it was like total chaos and they're, they're all cussing and they're like, they got to give it, we have to give it to her. And so they looked at me again and they said at one point, cause I had bruising on my face and neck from the fall. And so at one point they had thought that Zach had, there was some uh, domestic violence that was happening. And so they weren't sure. And because I wasn't able to communicate, they weren't sure if Zach had done all of this and whether we wanted him in the room. And so it was, you know, they were trying to bend the the COVID rules if possible, um, but they weren't sure if I would want him there because they weren't sure if they caused if he caused it and all of the things. So Anyway, so they said, do you understand that this drug will either save your life or it will kill you? And because if I'm not having a stroke, it's going to kill me. And um, because they didn't have anything on the screen, you know, and so they said, do you want Zach in here? And I shook my head. Yes, I did. And so he was able to come in and I didn't realize, but the pastor had, they had called in the pastor to be with him because it was you know, the way things were going, it wasn't looking good. And so he had met with a pastor. And so he came in and was saying goodbye to me on the ER table. And so they're like, okay, we got to give this, we got to give this to you. And so he's saying goodbye to me and crying and saying, he's sorry if he made the wrong choice, because he had to, it's ultimately Zach's decision, whether they gave me the medicine or not. And so he gave them the okay to do it because it's like, he, you know, the nurses are saying, we're, we're confident she's having a stroke. This looks classic stroke. And the neurologists are saying, yes, but you know, we don't see this on here. And so anyway, so they do the medicine, Zach saying goodbye to me and apologizing and all of the things. And all I'm, I'm just having like this play by play, like all it's a movie screen of my kids just going through. And I'm like stuck inside of this body that I have no idea what you know, is happening. And, and so, you know, it was, I think that was the lowest point of my life is not, was that moment and not wanting to die and feeling like, you know, all of this is happening was just confused. It would just, it was a lot. And so, they administered the TPA and within two minutes, I was able to say the words, my head hurts. And it was as clear as day. And they said, uh, what did you say? And I repeated it, my head hurts. And there was not a dry eye in the room. And so the medicine had busted this clot that was causing my stroke and within 10 minutes, I was totally back to baseline and was able to do all of the neurological tests and answer all of the questions. And I knew where I was and I was able to, you know, answer all of the things. And it was 
gosh, though, I mean, it was incredible. I It was like the most confusing, I don't know. And so I looked at the nurse and was like, what just happened? And she was like, you know, she said, you just had a major stroke. And so anyway, so from there, you know, I, so with that medicine, then you have to be, it is such a, a strong medicine that then I was in the IC, the neuro ICU for three days and was on watch having neuro checks every 15 minutes. I wasn't allowed to be out by myself. I wasn't allowed out of bed. And because of COVID, Zach wasn't allowed to be there either. So he said goodbye to me from the ER and had to leave. And it was like, you know, he said, I had this stroke from, it was an ischemic stroke from a clot. And so the the thought process now in hindsight, and it was a long journey to get to this point, we went up to Mayo Clinic and all of the, these things to get all of these answers. But basically it was a really bad storm. What, what we didn't know at the time was that my four cracked teeth had caused, you know, I, I had gotten an infection from there that caused a massive infection in my jaw, my jaw bone, and uh, paired with the, being on estrogen, which is also notorious for um, causing clots between the infection in my face and the bilateral concussion and blood, you know, pooling, it was a bad storm to cause a a arterial dissection. So basically it had collapsed and cut and through a clot. So, you know, it was, it was a bad storm. And then the TPA can cause the other stroke, which is a, a bleeding stroke. And so Zach said goodbye to me that, you know, in the ER and it's like, we're saying goodbye and we still don't know what this is going to look like. And if we're going to make it through the next three days and, you know, my family wasn't able to visit. It was sitting in the ICU by myself and that it was really hard. And so that was kind of the start of a whole lot of anxiety that, and, and depression really that came out of all of that. And so I made it through and I got home and, you know, there were a lot of deficits and it's really hard to know now in hindsight, what was concussion, what was anxiety, what was stroke, because it, all kind of mixed together. And so there were, there were months of therapy of speech therapy and occupational therapy. Again, I look back at some of those stories and don't even recognize myself because my speech was so broken. And that was one of the areas that, you know, I had deficits in and I wasn't able to be mom. I wasn't able to multitask. I wasn't able to be around noise and four kids, young kids, you know, I pretty much was in bed and uh, trying to heal. And because of that, then I was also immediately taken off of estrogen, which meant I was immediately thrown into abrupt menopause, which causes a whole slew of other uh, of other problems. And then, um, you know, things were trending upward. And then on May 10th, which was the twins' birthday, I woke up and I was making coffee and again, it was like a light switch went off and I remember Zach coming into the room and I looked at him and said, I don't know what I'm doing. And he was like, you're making coffee. And then my tongue started hanging out of my mouth and my face started drooping and we did it again. And I had another stroke on May 10th and 
it wound up being a TIA, which is uh, a mini stroke. It only lasted for 40 minutes and cleared before they did intervention. And so I went home that day. And so it was just, it was a, it was a dark time and finding who I was and finding what the plan was for all of life. Um, because at that point I wasn't able to be mom and Zach was full-time caretaker for me. And, you know, our family was rallying around us to help out with kids and help out with meals and just all of the things. And so, yeah, that was kind of the stroke and it's been, you know, now here we are almost a year later and I have completed therapy and my speech is obviously a lot better and I'm back to being mom. I'm driving again and gosh, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to myself say all of this and it, I still cannot believe some days that we made it through all of that. So, but it opened us up to a whole new community and I had a lot of time where I was not okay and just really questioning what the plan was in all of this. And, you know, I, with the help of medication and therapy, a lot of therapy and a lot of medication, you know, it has, I have been able to really pick, pick ourselves up and thank God for Zach. I'm not sure how he got through all of that. And now, you know, we have, worked through so much that now we're going to counseling together to try to figure out, gosh, what in the world did we just go through for the last, I mean, really six, seven years. And we have just, I mean, I, I sit here today and I'm so proud of ourselves and our marriage. And I'm so thankful for our community and goodness, so thankful for therapy and, and science that has really um, helped us to manage everything that we've been through. And so now we're kind of working through, okay, what is, what does trauma look like? And what does PTSD look like? Because there's a lot of that, you know, from Zach and saying goodbye to your wife and, and from my standpoint, almost dying and living in that fear and, I'm feeling like a ticking time bomb at any time that I'm just going to die and my kids are here. And so, and there's a lot going through menopause now as a 33 year old and figuring out what that looks like. And because that comes with a lot of mental changes and physical changes and, and all of that. So um, it has been a year of chaos and waving our white flags and what happens when we don't want to be on this path that God has us on and and we don't want to be on this journey and we're we don't want any more you know crazy stories to tell and feeling just like we're just we feel like we take a breath and we come out of it and then get hit with another wave of something and 
you know, we, gosh, I feel like so, so many times we've gotten to this point where we can either drown in this or we can stand up and try to rise above it all. And, and now, I mean, now I'm so thankful that we have four kids that I am living for because there are quite a few days that I'm not sure I would have had the motivation to get to therapy and want to fight through to be myself again and to be mom again. And and luckily I have four kids who need me and a husband that needs me and who look up to me every single day. And, you know, they they don't know whether I had a stroke or not. They don't know what all of that looks like. And so they have been the most resilient, forgiving children, you know, gosh, ever to be able to just be able to have handled what was thrown at them over the last year. And especially being a stay at home mom, trying to navigate all of that. So, but I am here today and I am healthy and, you know, on a really good um, protocol for making sure that a, a stroke doesn't happen again. We know what the signs are. We are um, passionate about doing education around that because had Zach not reacted when he did, it would have been a very different story and I wouldn't have been eligible for TPA. So he really did save my life, you know, that night. And so it, that story could have been rewritten a lot of different ways. And so we certainly are praising God for um, the way it turned out. And now we have this whole stroke community, which is, again, not the club that I want to be in, but it's an incredible, gosh, community of supporters. So there is <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, when you're telling this story, I'm just, I'm visually picturing it like an episode of Grey's Anatomy or something, which you see this in your mind and think like, this can't even be real life. Like this, how is this happening where he's saying goodbye to his wife? Like this might work. This might not say goodbye. And she, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't even know how to put into words like a reaction to it because it's just so devastating. And a couple of things that you said when you said you're going to therapy, which I was going to say this. So anyone who has these like life threatening moments, like my dad had a quintuple bypass and I was talking to a gentleman once who had a heart attack and it's one thing to come out of it physically, but then to come out of that mentally is a whole nother ball right. game. And right. I know that, you know, doctors, they fix you and then great. But then you live with this, like you said, ticking time bomb is, well, it almost happened to me. Now I have that near death experience. And right. we've talked about keeping like death on your shoulder or mortality that like, it's going to happen someday hopefully far far away so you have to live and everyone you know live like you're dying whatever but when you're actually in that right. and it's that close that your family is saying goodbye and can taste it it's like how do you then mentally 
go into the rest of your life okay right. and not feel like this is going to happen tomorrow. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it's, is, it is some, it has taken a lot of, a lot of work. And I think that that's something that is, you know, I never want to put on a show that things are always great and things are always happy, you know, and I think Instagram is one of those things that it's kind of hard because on those days, I am just trying to survive. I am just trying to get by. And so I'm not on Instagram, you know what I'm saying? And, and at some point, you know, the rest of the world does go on, which again, is kind of a hard thing to, to wrestle with when you do go through trauma that the rest of the world continues and you're kind of stuck here. But, you know, so on one hand, nobody wants to, like, I am somebody that I want to be a space of joy and um, uplifting, but I'm also very real that, you know, my life is not all rainbows and unicorns and we certainly have hard days and I am not above therapy and think that quite frankly, everybody should be in therapy because it has totally saved my life. But, you know, it is stuff that you have to, you have to wrestle with and you have to, I mean, it, I'm not sure I'll ever get over that, but I do have to learn how to deal with it and how to cope with it and, and how to continue to show up day by day. And that was, gosh, that was one of our main focuses in in therapy is what do I do now? Like, how do I continue to live like this? So all of this happens. And now in hindsight, you've put the puzzle pieces together, but it's not like you came out of the hospital and just knew it was this unknown, just like with Zach. And then the, trouble is getting pregnant and the miscarriage all these things are like these things happen but you don't have these instant answers in your life right away to give you that like closure and comfort it's this now what right like now I have to go down this new path of unknowns and figure it out how long was that whole process at the end of the day to give you that answer you need and did the pandemic factor in to that whole process for you too, because oh you're, you come yes. out of that in a completely different time in our lives. So I cannot imagine. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, the pandemic certainly did. And it was one of those that like, I was so hateful about because I almost died and my husband can't even be with me. Like that was, that was a really tough, uh, pill to swallow from all of that. And I was pretty hateful about that for, I mean, I probably still am pretty hateful about that. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest about that, but uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it was really tough because there were so many moving pieces to what happened and to be, you know, it was really hard and so hard for me to feel like I was just going to randomly die. And that was a ton of just turmoil and anxiety. And I mean, I was crying all of the time and God forbid I would have been sleeping and somebody took the kids from my house. I mean, I like it would, it was enough to throw me into, I was having full blown panic attacks and, you know, throughout all of that, I was still having, you know, my four teeth had cracked. And so at one point a tooth just totally fell out of my head and I like, I mean, it was just full-blown panic attack and I was pretty unmanageable for, for quite some time. 
but it, you know, in order to put all the stroke pieces together, and especially when I was having all of this dental work, we, we finally decided to head up to Mayo Clinic and get how just, we needed a, an entire team of all of these people in one place to have one conversation and say, okay, here's everything that happened. And this is what it means. And this is where this puzzle piece fit, fits in here. And and all of those things. And we just weren't getting that here. And so we went up, we had the most amazing experience up at Mayo Clinic. We met with all the entire team of the stroke doctor and the headache specialist and the GYN. And, and the, at that point there was concern that I had a, uh, an autoimmune blood disorder. And so it, there were like all of these factors. And so we finally all met and it like, put it all together within a couple of days and it was good. And it was like, okay, now we have this diagnosis. Now we have, cause there were, they were thinking that I was going to need to be on like heavy blood thinners. And uh, because when I left the hospital, the first time after my first stroke, I was just on a baby aspirin, which is pretty standard protocol post stroke, unless you have an underlying condition. And so then I had an, uh, another TIA, um, another mini stroke. And so that was when I was like, nope, I'm literally could die. And somebody needs to do something here because mm-hmm. y'all said that I wasn't going to have another one, but here I am. And, you know, so somebody needs to do something. Mm-hmm. So anyways, once we put it all together, so now, you know, I'm just on a, uh, on a full dose of aspirin, which is, which is enough. And I now feel confident in my team and that I'm not going to just die tonight. I still, you know, I think once you experience Mm -hmm. that, that near death, once you have that experience, it does change you, Mm -hmm. you know, even just the day to day, the simple things and frustrations and parenting and all of that stuff. Not that I don't get frustrated, but it does help you have a, a different outlook on, on life. But so from start to finish, gosh, I, we went to Mayo Clinic uh, in July, and so it was from April to till July. But then, I mean, I'm still dealing with the with the dental stuff. I wound up losing the one tooth, and then I still got another jaw infection, and so that played with my head so much. And so I had a root canal, and then they finally, ultimately, ended up um, extracting it. So I pulled two teeth, and separately, which was like its own form of torture. (laughs) And uh, again, it was like trying to manage these panic attacks that were like not easing up was interesting. And uh, I learned a lot about that and mental health. I mean, mental health has been, it was never part of our conversations or marriage. And I was never somebody that dealt with anxiety or depression. I've always been a very easygoing, go with the flow you know, life just kind of happens and we can roll with the punches pretty well. And, you know, it was just never something that was in our marriage. And now mental health is very much a part of our marriage and something that we have had to navigate through. And, you know, it's added an an entire new dimension to our, our marriage and the way I function as a person and, and also empathy for what others go through. Not that, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. And to be able to put yourself in somebody's shoes who lives with anxiety and lives with depression is, um, you know, mental health is a, this whole beast that um, is so misunderstood, I think, in in a world of people who 
you know, just want, I, I say toxic po positivity, but it, it's not really that because I am a very positive person, but I think, I do think mental health is very misunderstood and is kind of a taboo topic mm -hmm. to talk about. And, you know, because we're strong women and, and we can do hard things and all of those things. And so I think it's, there's just this misunderstanding of, of what that looks like and whether it's okay to get help and, and for, for what. I love that you're talking about mental health that, you know, it wasn't something that was even like on your radar in life until it was. And then you start to see how many people are affected by this all the time. And you are very vulnerable with sharing your story on social media, but there's so many people who live this way, but then just want to portray something else on social media. And so it's this double-edged sword of like, I want to share, but now I'm opening myself up to be responsible for so many other people that reach out to you, which I know is a blessing and you are so valuable to them. But then it's like, sometimes do you feel that weight of that responsibility now you're in this support group for infertility and you know stroke awareness and all of these cp and it's like do you feel this i don't want to say pressure because i know you as a person like it would be you're of such value and hope to so many other people but does that weight of other people because you are so open about it weigh on you at times when you're like, I just need to get through the day and take care of myself at the moment. Yeah. And I, you know, I am so, so lucky that I know people on Instagram with, with really big followings who, you know, get nasty messages and a lot of hate mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And I have been really yeah. lucky that that has been so minimal for me. And not that I'm like a okay. big account, but I'm just saying, I know that happens a lot. And, you know, I really have been so lucky that it has been at a minimum, not that I haven't gotten it, but it has been pretty, you know, far and few in between. And the, the general feeling from, from the community that I think I have built has been understanding. I mean, I reach out for prayers for anything and people yeah. are so kind and, and it's not the kind of like, Oh yeah, I'll pray for you. You know, it's like, there are some really incredible people out there who I know have my back and I feel so lifted up that every single time I have questioned whether I want to share something or not, you know, I have this entire community rallying around me, you know, and sometimes I think, you know, I was, I was saying something to you about, it feels like, gosh, people are like, not again, not another thing from Lindsay. And, you know, that's what I'm saying in my head. And it's all lies because once I do share something, it's like, I mean, people just are so, so kind about that. And so I have learned to give myself grace throughout um, this journey of, of sharing our story that, and, and really more so in the last year, that I have to give myself grace and I try really hard to get to all of the messages, but I've just had to teach myself that, you know, if I don't, I, I spend time in my DMs and I try to get to them. And I have said many times, I'm sorry if I haven't gotten to your message. And, 
And not once have I ever gotten somebody who has said, Oh, you didn't answer me and blah, blah, blah. Cause I, you know, I do try to get to everybody, but Mm -hmm. you know, most everybody has been so supportive that, you know, at one point I think I did have that pressure on myself to answer everybody and be all of the things Mm -hmm. and be encouragement for everybody. And now, you know, I'm, I've learned a lot about, uh, for my own mental health that the world doesn't live on Instagram, right? My, my world lives off of my phone here Mm -hmm. in my house and not that I'm in my house currently, but they live in my house. And so Mm -hmm. if I need to take a break, I step away and I don't force myself to, um, to feel guilty for that. And it's still there Mm -hmm. when I get back on tomorrow or in a couple of weeks or whatever that looks like. And, you know, the algorithm may hate me for a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's, it is what it is. So, um, I've, I've tried to take that off my plate. I think that's so good. And having, you know, that grace for yourself, because when you go through something and open up about it, I feel that people then like want to share their story with you because they feel connected, which is so beautiful. And we've learned that with this podcast, it's like, it's been the most rewarding and most emotional part of our business because we can spread kindness all day long when we're having a hard day or whatever. It's not that hard to fake it if you want to fake it that day and need to fake it for the day. Right. But when you open up your lives and other people's stories and they share them with you, it's this responsibility that then we feel like, Oh, now this is a part of us. Like this is a part of our puzzle now. And you want to hold space and like have that for everybody, but there has to be some level of where you can, you know, just be okay with, I still have to take care of myself and get through this myself. And then I would love to hold this space for you also, but it's, I think you balance it from at least the outside and from now talking about it very well. And what you're doing is just beautiful. So how do you find that time to take care of yourself besides therapy and you have the four little ones and you're homeschooling, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what do you do? How do you, how do you do it amidst yeah. everything happening? So my, um, actually it was our, our marriage counselor that said this, that I, it has really, really changed my perspective of, of that question specifically. And how, how do you do it? Because, you know, as somebody who, likes to be productive and, um, I am a people pleaser and I like projects and I like, you know, I want to, I tend to jump headfirst into a thousand different things. And I'm a typical type seven that I have a million started projects and very little that are actually finished. And, mm-hmm. you know, I used to always think that I needed to find balance and how do you balance blogging and social media and your family and, making dinner and having a clean ish house or at least clean underwear to wear. Like, how do you do all of that and still have friends and be a sister and a daughter and a friend and all of those things. And I kept feeling like, okay, I'm dropping, I'm not, I'm doing all of these things, but I'm not doing any of them well. Right. I mean, something always has to give. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the biggest misconception, especially on social media is that you look at all of these people and you're like, how do they do it? Well, they don't, I mean, nobody does. Right. If you see somebody who's doing it all, they typically have people behind the scenes who are helping with something. And, 
you know, at one point I had a house cleaner. And so that was how I had a clean house. And it was a great business expense that, you know, there was a really good return on investment there. And other times where we've paid for childcare. And so there, there are different, I think, tips and tricks. And I think the biggest downfall to social media is looking at somebody's somebody else's 15 minutes in their day and thinking and just having this totally skewed perception of what that looks like and you know I do it too and I it's I know what that's like and I do it too because I think that's just the way our brain works is that we always want to be the best that we can be and I don't even think it comes from a, a bad place I think it truly comes from a I want to be better for my kids and I want to be a better wife and I want to have, you know, I want to better myself, but there's a lie in all of that, that I think until you accept that, that lie and really what the truth is, you know, there's things will be uh, out of balance and uneasy. And at the end of the day, you will be unhappy because you will always fall short of that. And so the thing that my that our marriage counselor said when he he asked us, you know, we were saying that we were having a hard time managing time of all of our things, and we were having time finding balance, and we were having time, you know, we were we either felt like we were a really good parent for the week, or our house was really clean for the week, or the blog was doing really well for the week, or our marriage was, but never was it all of those things together. And how do we find this balance? Other than figuring out a way to add more hours to the day, which wasn't going to happen. So what do we what do we do? And so he said you know, have you, instead of trying to find balance, because ultimately that's not going to happen, right? You, you don't have that many hours in the day and you are falling short of what your ideal life looks like. So instead of finding balance, maybe try looking at things as a rhythm, right? So if you look at your year, you're going to have busy seasons because I had just gotten out of Christmas time and in November and December was crazy from a business perspective. And so you know, I had said that I could do it because there was a light at the end of the tunnel there. I knew come January business was going to slow down a little bit. And, you know, I would, I could sustain the four and five hours of sleep nights because I knew come January, it was going to get better. And so he was like, you know, rather than trying to constantly find balance, look at the year and say, okay, you know, that November and December is going to be busy. You know, that whatever, if Easter is going to be busy. And so you have these busy seasons of life. And rather than trying to find balance through it all, try to look at it by having rhythm. And so you're going to have busy periods in your blog. You're going to have busy periods where your kids are in sports. You're going to have busy periods in your marriage where, you know, things you don't get to connect all of the time. And so you need to look at it and then hold yourself accountable to say, okay, if I'm in my busy season of, of, my job, my, my work, then, you know, I'm going to pay somebody else to really dive into my kids and invest in my kids. And I'm going to be okay with it. And during those couple months, then I pay somebody to come in and clean my house. And, you know, so that that's off my plate. And so, but then come January, now the blog's going to not fall to the wayside, but I'm not going to take sponsored content, or I'm only going to take two campaigns rather than eight or whatever that looks like. And so in that time, then I'm the one really pouring into my kids and I'm the one that is really setting aside, okay, now we're going to have date night once a week rather than, you know, once a month or once every other month, gosh, it seemed like. And so it was just, it kind of took off this pressure for me because, you know, I think there's this like 
stigma that if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not taking care of yourself. And, and although I think that you do need to take care of yourself, I also don't have time to go and get manicures every other week throughout, you know, whatever that looks like. And so maybe it's my working out in the morning and I'm listening to a different podcast on the way to work. And so I think the taking it off of my plate that I had to be perfect at all of the things, all of the time, it took off so much weight from my shoulders to say, okay, it's not that I'm less of a wife in this period, but it actually makes me better because then I can really pour in and be super intentional uh, during this time. And so that was a really long-winded way to say it varies based on the season of life now that I am in. And right now I'm in a season that, uh, well, I'm just getting out of the season of really pouring into my kids and getting into a busier season again with work stuff. But it has taken pressure off of myself to where I got my nails done five times in a row and I paid to have them done and that was great and wonderful. But now I'm getting ready to where I'm not going to and I'm going to be doing that at home. And so it, I think as a mother and business owner and wife, it was really important for me to, to realize that, you know, during my busy season, my girl time, my girlfriend time, um, is something that is super valuable to me and something that's the number one way I plug into myself and give myself a break from all of the things and just have a, a couple glasses of wine and, and unwind, um, whatever that is looks like for you, you know, there's, you're not going to find balance in all of that. It's going to be a rhythm and being okay with that gives you the permission to what I would have said slacked on in my previous time. Now I just know that I'm going to set things up to be intentional. It's not that my kids are going to be ignored. It's just that they're being loved on hard during more hours by someone else. And then, you know, I'm intentional about making sure I'm the one that puts them to bed and, you know, that kind of thing. And I love that your marriage counselor said this because it already opened up the conversation with Zach Mm -hmm. and then maybe with your kids where so many of us, it's like you think you have to do it all, all the time, all by yourself. And instead of just openly communicating with your family, your kids, your significant other right off the bat, like, just so you know, the next two weeks are going to be hectic and I could use your help here, or I might not be as good at cooking or date night or whatever it may be. And then once that's off the table, then it's like, the shame and the guilt that you might put on yourself, it's already gone. And you see how quickly your family and your loved ones are like, yeah, got it. No problem. But I feel like so much of the time we just keep it on ourselves and think like we have to be able to do all of this all by ourselves. And if we don't, we have failed. And then we should be so ashamed of ourselves and have this horrible mom guilt, wife guilt, work guilt, like the whole gamut is thrown at us when when we are just open and communicate, I can't handle all of this by myself. This is what I need right now. The response nine times out of 10 is so, well, duh, who yeah. can? Like, gosh, I feel like I got you. an entire episode just on that topic alone because it's yeah. so important. And yeah, and, and it is Zach has being open with that. Zach can, Zach, what we found was that Zach could sustain that when he knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel, when it was, right. he had no problem doing the dishes 
four nights in a row, as long as he knew that that wasn't going to be every single night, that then it wasn't all on him. And so those are the kinds of things that, you know, our, our marriage counseling has really helped us navigate and figure out because, you know, we do live in a house where both of us have jobs now and both of us are working and that wasn't ever our plan. So our conversations six years ago are totally different than what they are right now. And so, yeah, it's amazing what communication can do. And, and I mean, in full transparency, Zach and I weren't able to do that without the help of a counselor. And so it's not like that was something we figured out on our own. We were very much struggling in that aspect. And so they were very wise words and something that we have, you know, I think that's been one of the most helpful pieces of advice that I wish we would have known, you know, 10 years ago in our marriage. So, yeah. Well, and why would you? Because you think like it's been so taboo, like marriage counseling means oh my gosh. they're probably getting a divorce right. or wives are failing if they are not cooking and cleaning and doing this. And then the men can't handle that stuff because right. that's not manly. And like, we are literally brought up to think these things. Right. So we feel like we're failing and then don't talk about it with other friends and family and get advice and help because it's so taboo right. instead of dude, this is like the most important relationship oh my in my God. life. Why wouldn't I imply or apply all the tools right. to make it amazing? Right. And I think the more we talk about it, oh my gosh. Yeah, it, totally. And, and when we started all of it, you know, when I first approached Zach and was like, Hey, what do you think about starting marriage counseling? He was like, are there's something problem? happening yeah. that I don't know about? And I was like, mm-hmm. no, but like, I am struggling from everything that I have been through. And mm-hmm. I know that you are handling all of the things, but like, why don't we do this before we break? Like, why don't we do this before we enter crisis mode? Because I don't want to show up when I'm thinking any of those things. And I don't even think that's where we were going, but I learned the value of therapy for myself and you know, all of the tools that I could, I could benefit from. And I was so grateful. Obviously we've all learned how amazing Zach is and his willingness, you know, to love me for me and trust me in, in this crazy process of life. But, you know, it, it has wound up being a huge, huge blessing for us. And, and no, it's not, it's not meant for just if you're getting a divorce. And and I know everybody has different feelings on that. And, you know, I've spoken to to women who have said, well, my husband would never do that. And, you know, I it may not be for everybody, but, you know, I know my relationship. And, and at the end of the day, I think it comes down to communication and being able to say, babe, I, I love you so much and I know you love me. And, you know, maybe let's just give this a shot. And and see what happens and, and, you know, and the, and then really pray about it and for hearts to be changed and, and see what you can do and grow from it because there's, gosh, the last thing you want to do. I did enter therapy when I was broken. I 100% entered therapy by myself when I was totally broken, but from a marriage standpoint, we didn't, we didn't do that. And it was the best, best thing ever. So I, I love yeah. that and what you were saying about communication because you can think that you're good at communicating, but all you're really doing is like riding a bike and the wheels are going and you're saying the things, but maybe you're not saying them kindly or maybe you're approaching it from only thinking about yourself and not trying to work on their perspective and a professional's advice on how – like it's not like you're going to ask your husband or anybody 
well, how would you like me to approach this before you approach something that's on your heart or on your mind at that moment when you're stressed out? So like, I think that's one of the most valuable pieces of, of happiness. And I'm for yourself and your marriage. It's like, they're just giving you tools to handle situations that will arise. I love Dex Shepard. And then he was saying that him and Kristen Bell, they started therapy, couples therapy, like when they were three months into dating before they even were engaged and married because they're like celebrity world go into this oh my gosh yeah at the best that we can so we have a chance proactively yeah Yeah. and I think it's so taboo because people think a therapist is going to like either save your marriage or whatever but that's not the point the point is to give you the tools so that you have a good life for yourself for your marriage for your kids even communicating openly with your kids I think it's so many of these things that are so taboo that we, the more we talk about it and are open with it, the more people are like, oh my gosh, that's the point. Right. <laughs> like, right. I would be down with that. Right. Well, and kids yeah. are, yeah, kids have it. I mean, kids are, have very big problems in their, their world too. Mm-hmm. And gosh, yeah. it's so heartbreaking to see where our, our world and our youth is at right now that if we could teach our kids some tools to, to be able to handle what life throws at you, because let's be honest. I mean, the whole world got shit on last year. And so it was like, yeah. we all need tools. Our kids need tools. We need mm-hmm. tools. You know, adults are having a hard time functioning right now. And I mean, it, it certainly is a life skill that is, uh, is needed. So yeah, absolutely. Wow. Oh my God. I just have to say one thing because I just went off on a tangent in an episode about people using like a band-aid statement of like, kids are so resilient. And afterwards I thought about this because I agree with everything I said, (laughs) meaning people use it as a band-aid to just not talk to kids and communicate with them. And then when you said my kids are so resilient and brave and whatever throughout this, it made me start thinking like, I don't want to come off like kids aren't resilient. Kids are obviously resilient my point being like, don't just slap a bandaid and say they're resilient so that you don't deal with it right. and don't communicate and don't let them express their feelings. Right. And so when you said my kids have been, you know, so forgiving and resilient, I love that because it's coming from this place of they've been through so much themselves and with their parents and stuff. And you give them that space to communicate and feel their feelings. And I watch your homeschooling, all this stuff. And I'm like so astounded by how amazing you are. And I just don't want to give people the impression that I mean, you can never say kids are resilient because no. they are. It's more just don't slap that bandaid when you don't want to deal with yeah. your kids' big feelings and big emotions and their processing. Right. Well, I, I wondered about I like that, that when she said that. Said that I know to give because then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, I didn't want it to come off that way. But I love that that opened it up because I think kids can be so resilient and so can adults and we can build resilience. But we have to be able to express ourselves and go through the motions and feel everything and process to get to that point. Right. And it's you can't just like you said, you can't just ignore it because I would agree it's absolutely being used, I think, especially right now and in everything that kids have been through this year and not being in school and doing online school and all of those things that no, actually these kids are really hurting. And I mean, you just have to look at statistics to see that that is. I mean, suicide and suicide attempts and all of those things. My husband's a high school math teacher and it's in, 
it is so heartbreaking to see that. And I, I would 100% agree with you that it is being used as a band-aid that, I mean, I am very scared to see what are, what is going to come out of all of this from a generation of kids who, who have been dealt a really bad hand here and then just been said, you're resilient and no, they can handle it because it's, gosh, they don't have the tools to do that. They don't have all of that. I mean, I would Mm -hmm. completely agree with you in in saying that. And I think you can also say my kids are resilient and, and I mean that. And, um, and I would not have ever taken Mm -hmm. offense to what you said by, by saying that people say that and use that as a bandaid, because I think that it goes both ways and it's, it's very possible in both situations. Yeah. I like what you said about, they don't even have the tools. Like we have to give them the tools to get through these things. And more often than not, I feel like adults don't even have the right tools. Like we don't know how to deal with a pandemic and now we're supposed to just expect kids to know how to deal with it. Like it's God therapy is for everyone. Yep. (laughs) That's a t-shirt right there. (laughs) Therapy is for everyone. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, I, oh, I have one more question. In the first episode, you said that you guys had the 24 hour rule Yes. where you just felt everything and then you had to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other. After this past year's experiences, do you still have that rule? Are you still so thankful you started that so long ago? Yes. And we used it. And sometimes there were 24 hours in like multiple 24 hours in a week, you know, it was just, Mm -hmm. it was broken up and then, you know, I'd spend the day outside and then it would happen again. And, you know, it's not to say that it can't even be recurring, but the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I'd have my day and I would be locked in my room. And then the next day I would be outside or doing something that brought me joy and something that you know, reminded me that I have a, a reason for moving forward. And yes, it was literally one of the best tools. And I have, if, if you've heard me in any sort of infertility campaign, I talk about it because it's like our, our golden rule that, you know, feelings are allowed and they are real and they are important. God gave us feelings to feel them, right? There are zero wrong feelings, but you know, you also can't live there. You cannot stay in that state. And, you know, I think that that is also an important, an important rule, not that it can't be revisited, not that it can't be more than one 24 hour rule, but it's got to be broken up. And, and, um, because it is depression is an ugly, ugly thing. And so is anxiety. And, and you wind up start telling yourself lies, and you start telling yourself those lies long enough and you start believing them. And, and so that's kind of what mm-hmm. that prevents is, is you getting stuck there. So yes, it was more so right. than ever. Amen. Oh my gosh. Amen. You are just so real and honest and fun and positive. And like, even you were documenting your trip to the Mayo Clinic and it was like a mini getaway vacation with your husband. Like you seem to turn these scary things, which I'm sure were very scary and heartbreaking and all these things into, this is part of our story. And it's like this beautiful 
love story kind of that you guys have weathered together and shared with so many people to help them. And we're just so grateful for you sharing all of it. I so appreciate you guys having me and offering and listening to my craziness. And, you know, like I said, I certain the last thing I want to do is put on this, this show that is, that we're not real and that we don't have hard times, but you know, we can do hard things and we can get through it. And, you know, there's so much opportunity, I think, to see beauty in, in all of the things. And sometimes I didn't see it. And I know I missed those opportunities sometimes, but you know, I don't want to get to the end of life. And especially now knowing that your days are not counted or wait. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Your days are yeah, yeah, numbered, yeah. right? Yes. And, and we don't yeah, yeah, know yeah. how yeah, many yeah. there are. And mm -hmm. that being real to me, it has eliminated a lot of fear in my life. And it's made me a heck of a lot more grateful for, for opportunities like this and opportunities to share that with other people and, and my kids. And, and so thank you so much for having me on and letting me ramble and all of the things and be emotional. And it's probably the first time I've shared a lot of that. So I appreciate you guys letting me do so. We are honored. And it was just really good to see your face because we see your face in still boxes and stories, yeah. but like actually conversing with you is was really, really fun and special. Yes. Okay. Wait, before we finish, I just need a real quick synopsis of the cow. Of the what? Cow. <laughs> How did this come to fruition? I just have oh to gosh. know because one day I just saw a baby cow on my feed and I was like, what, what is this happening? amazing thing Yeah, going so on? we, okay, so we're on 20 acres <laughs> and Zach okay. is like all about the farming and he's wanted Texas Longhorns forever. And I'm like, no, we, our life is crazy enough. And no, like- He's the kind of guy that we, uh, he asked if I wanted a bunch of chickens. This was like at our old house and uh, before the girls were born. And I was like, no, I don't want chickens. He was like, okay, but do you really want them? And I was like, no, I don't want chickens. Like we're, at this point, we knew that twins were going to be coming early and that we were, they were going to be sick. And so I was like, for real, I don't want, like, no, we have so much on our plate right now. Let's get through twins that we know are going to be preemie. And so let's I love his persistence. And, oh my gosh. Well, yeah. And so then. That's me. That's me. Yeah. I, it's a hot tub though, but yes. Okay. Well, then we had our twins and we came home and we put the, put the pumpkin seeds on the counter. We just got through. We kept our twins alive. We got through. We grabbed a beer and a glass of wine, sat on our porch swing. And he's like, babe, I got you a Mother's Day present because they were born on Mother's Day. And I was like, that is so sweet. And I was like touched and like babe and he was like yeah and I was like what what is it he was like 25 chickens and I was like are you <laughs> effing <laughs> I was like what what do you think I meant when I said no like it, it, no and I was so I was five so chickens real life 25 chicks 25 chicks. Yes, chicks. I was like, oh. Oh my gosh. My gosh. So anyways, that started our farm farm journey. I was, I didn't feed those dang chickens. I didn't water them. I hated those things. I was like. Protest. Oh yeah. yeah. He was like, are you going to go out and 
do you want to go out and feed them? No, I don't want to go out and feed them. I didn't even want them here. Like, no, I was, I was like <laughs> so mad. But now here we are and we're building another chicken coop. And now I'm like, oh, the laying hens and homeschool and homesteading and all the things. He knew. He knew. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah, and it makes me mad. He knows me better than I and know myself. And cows. Totally so you, your own milk? Yeah. No, so they're Do not dairy cows. you only have chickens and cows? They are not dairy cows. Right. So they oh. are meat cows. I don't know what brand, not brand, but I don't, this is... This is where I start not sounding intelligent. So if anybody knows farmland, they're going to be like, she's such a city girl. Uh, I don't know what kind they are, but they are not dairy cows. They are, they will be meat cows. So Esmeralda is mama. We were supposed to get her while she was still pregnant. So we were going to do the birth and all of that, but we didn't get the fence up in time. And there were some things that we had to fix with the electric fence and stuff. And so Anyway, so baby cow was born and we finally got it up that day. So because baby was just born. So we got it. We got baby cow when he or she was like 24 hours old, not even. And so that was the first picture was me holding the baby. And when they're that little, you don't know their gender. And you you can like sex, like vets know how to sex the cow. And I'm sure if this was like your life, you could. But like even the people who birthed the cow didn't know what gender it was. We weren't just being idiots. We like, it's hard unless you see them pee. And so, right. And so that was like a whole thing, which everybody is so funny because the farming community is so sweet. I was getting so many messages about like, just watch it pee and do this and do this. And all of the trauma from us moving mama and baby and dad was like really traumatic. And so then baby wasn't eating. And so then we were bottle feeding them. And so it was like a whole thing. And uh, so anyway, so we now know if you look at the gender reveal that uh, baby was a boy. So uh, which was hilarious. Blue smoke yes. Blue smoke, confetti and uh, which you know, total side note, welcome to the wonderful world of Photoshop because the cow was scared out of its mind and wouldn't stand there with us. So the cow is actually Photoshopped in there. So we were, we were in the yes. cow pen. We did it. And then we took the picture of the cow and put him in there. So, uh, yeah, welcome to, to the magical world of having a photographer, but regardless, uh, baby cow is Rudy. So Esmeralda's mom, Rudy is baby, and baby has they hit like this point where they don't really want you to be around them, especially boys. Esmeralda's totally chill, and we can pet her and love on her and all of the things. Uh, Rudy has already started not liking us, so um, he Rudy's just, a little rude. Rudy. Yeah, he, well, Ru no. So dad is grumpy, and he got that name for a reason. He is. He, he likes me okay. He'll tolerate me. He does not like Zach, though. He has charged Zach uh, twice before. So it's like not something oh to God. mess around with. But he likes me, so it's cool. And as long as you, like, act big and stuff. Talk about, un like, unintelligent. I didn't know there was such a thing as a cow that doesn't have milk. I mean, she has I milk. Yeah. she. <laughs> so Rudy's still nursing. And they're not, like used for that yeah like we but then what happens to the milk i mean rudy drinks it and then rudy will like rudy nurses oh, so i was right in my assumption all cows um, have milk like yeah i mean girl cows yes girl cows, it's girl cows. yeah it's like okay. breastfeeding 
So if they but, have, but sometimes they, they're not used for that. Right. So once Rudy weans off, we won't continue milking. So like dairy cows have to have a baby to turn into dairy cows, right? Because their milk has to come in from having a baby. Yeah. That. And then they continue. I didn't know that yeah. either. But then you have to continue milking them. So you wean the calf off, but you right. continue milking them. For all of you who can't see my hands, you should be seeing my hands right now. <laughs> so, so, good. <laughs> so you have to continue milking them. And I assumed that we would continue Esmeralda milking her, but I didn't realize that like, that's like a daily two time, like at least twice a day chore. Like you can't like not milk, you can't go on vacation or you can't like just forget one morning because then they'll get mastitis. Zach was like, mm-hmm. so... Colleen, I literally was having the yeah, same like conversation. Like you dry up when you're... Or, yeah, and you get mastitis. So he exactly like, remember when you get mastitis? And I was like, yeah. He was like, what do you think happens to the cow if you don't milk her? And I was like, ooh. Mm. Yeah. He was like, so no, we're going to not do that We right are now. the same. Yeah. So that's why we're not doing that. <sighs> is And dairy cows produce like an astronomical amount of milk. Like it's, they're made for milking. Like that's, their body structure is like that. So right. we okay. could... And we could absolutely drink it and it would be fine, but um, it's a lot of work and we may someday, but not right now. So we're knowing our limits. Maybe when you have higher okay. milkers. I have Maybe. a next request. Yes. Can you please get some baby goats up in there? Yes. <laughs> because. Um, yes. We're working on cows or I'm sorry. We're working on pigs and goats. Yes. <gasps> Oh my God. And then we all need to make a trip to the Klein farm. Oh my gosh. I would love That'd it be great. for everybody. Come on. I down. would love it. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I will take um, cow gender reveal photos any day over baby human gender reveal <laughs> photos. I was like, this yeah, is, Zach was like, Lindsay, best thing on Instagram. Like this. I was like, babe, they're, oh, they're going to like it. You loved like, it. Nobody does loved this. It. I was like, I'm your instincts are correct. We, we yeah. can make a quick trip to the University of Dayton, CB, so you can see oh, my yes. campus. Yeah. Is I talk about it all the time. I did. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. How old are you? Well, I graduated in 06. Okay. So my sister graduated. So my sister was a student there at in 06. My sister went there and both my parents went there and grandparents and all of the things. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Flyer Nation, here we right? are. That's crazy. We have <gasps> kids we go to the, the, the games and all of the things. Well, someday we're going to go to UD and then go to the Klein farm and I'm going to be in heaven. It'll be a whole thing. We'll get pizza and so much stuff. Oh my gosh. All right. Dreams. We're putting it, we're manifesting it. It's going to happen. Lindsay, thank you so, so, so much. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We love you too. Coming over someday. We're making it happen. Yes. Yes. Amen.